Um, so Podbean invited us to a con a finance conference for Podcast Finance Week. Mm-hmm. Um, so they sent us the following email. Hi, Phenomena Podcast. Because I didn't register under my name for some reason. <laughs> As a special thanks to you for being part of the Podbean community, we'd like to offer some free tickets to our upcoming Podcast Finance Week event. You can share these with your audience slash friends. They know that our audience are just our four friends. <laughs> they can visit the event page to sign up and use the code PODBEANFPW at checkout, which will give them the $39 ticket for free. We've set aside a limited number of free tickets for our Podbean. I really feel like the puzz are hitting for our Podbean users and their friends. So make sure to share this as soon as you can. From the GameStop short to Bitcoin, finance has been at the forefront of many conversations recently. That's I'm sorry. We know a lot of people have faced financial <laughs> struggles this past year as well. I'm as a thanks to our Podbean sorry. community, we're excited to announce Finance <laughs> Podcast Week. <laughs> Which is funny because earlier in the email, they called it Podcast Finance Week. But we now they're calling it Finance Podcast Week. So <laughs> it's like, what is it? If you'd like to evaluate the, <laughs> the role of finances and relationship with money and learn more about investing... Finance Podcast Week will provide resources, community building, and oh collaboration God. about these important <laughs> topics. Um, and then they have the dates, but I want to read you the topics. The first topic is personal finance in the pandemic, which they're really coming for me because I <laughs> have some of the worst personal finance habits of anyone I've ever met. And then, and then the second topic is GameStop, Robinhood, and the Merry Men of Reddit, colon, what actually happened? Bro, why is the podcasting hosting site that we use trying to fucking guy at a bar me? <laughs> He's literally like my friend that's like, but you do know, right? You actually do know, right? So the, the third thing is, <laughs> the third topic is market predictions 2021. The Bro, fourth one what? Is, <laughs> the fourth one is so, not only really weird, but also has a typo in it. So I think what they were <laughs> trying to type was crypto craze. <laughs> <laughs> but instead there's a space so it's crypto and then a an n dash space craze so <laughs> it kind of it's like crypto craze like as a craze is the second title and then the fifth one is making your money work for you yes so, people are discussing making your money work for you so I just wanted to let all my listeners know that by the time this podcast comes out, probably the free tickets will be gone. Um, but if you want to learn <laughs> what, what, uh, <laughs> what our podcast hosting site, which by the way is so financially <laughs> illiterate that they offered us <laughs> monetization. <laughs> thinks is going to happen to the market in 2021 you can happy podcasting and thanks for being part of the podbean family
Wait, did you hear her? So, my name is Augusta. My name is Eva. And this is the Phenomena Podcast. Thank you for listening. This week, we're going to be talking about a much-requested topic, something that I've seen our Reddit page really popping off about recently, um, which is... (laughs) Do you like like that I just made up a Reddit page for us whole cloth? No, I choked on my coffee a little bit. But I did like that. But that, that wasn't was what that noise was. Hilarious. <laughs> that noise bit. was a, the left my death rattle as I almost died. <laughs> um, well, I'm sorry that I made light of it. Uh, <laughs> this week, we're going to be talking about communications with the dead being recorded audially. Did you notice that in a lot of the writing about these things being recorded, they call them the discarnate? I did, and I truly wondered about that. I think that that is a hand-me-down from the Swedish word, which I don't know, but that's my best guess when things like that happen in English. Um, Mm, But it essentially just literally means being, not having a physical body, right? That's the literal thing, but I think the reason that it uses the word dis is that it implies something like disrobed where like there was a time that it was carnate or incarnate. Not sure if carnate is a word. Unbodied. And then it's been unbodied. Uh, Carnate, when I Googled it, um, it's not a thing, (laughs) but it is a place in Italy. (laughs) Um, Be plucking coins from their well pretty soon. Wealthy. Sorry, so, yes, this, no, um, so this week we're going to be talking about discarnate sounds and the recording of them, which includes and encompasses um, EVP, uh, mm-hmm. spirit boxes, analog recording, digital recording, and the much discussed ovulus of uh, Ghost Adventures fame. Yeah. So, I mean, EVP. To be honest, I knew very little about EVP going into this, like less than I thought I did. AKA once I started doing research, I was like, oh, I thought this was something like pretty different. What was your original impression of it? I'm curious. I thought that it was just recording a landscape. And then if you hear a ghost sound, you can play it back. Like I thought that EVP referred to, I mean, which it does, I guess, in the most general sense. I thought that EVP referred mm-hmm. to any tape which a ghost sound or voice occurs on, which it kind right. of does, but the actual recording of EVPs is not so scattershot, and it has a lot more intention behind it for most paranormalists, which I should have known, but right. I didn't. Hmm. Yeah, I think intention is the thing that makes paranormalists... Or, that was dumb. Um, intention is the thing that distinguishes EVP from from witnessing. So EVP stands for electronic voice phenomenon, if you didn't know that. Um, And it specifically refers to when a noise that sounds like a human voice is heard on a recording, whether that's digital or analog. Um, And oftentimes it implies that the uh, that the voice phenomenon was not heard in person and only appeared in the recording but that's not 
always true. Right. That's, I think, what I misunderstood. So, like, my impression of it was that EVP, when you record, you're listening for ghost sounds and you're just trying to capture proof. But what I understand now is that a lot of EVP actually involves manipulation of the tape Mm -hmm. uh, to uncover or reveal what you might consider to be spiritual voices. I also didn't Mm -hmm. understand how many different kinds of EVP there are, i.e. some people believe that EVP, like ghost voices, that they're electronic voice phenomenon, will come to you as like whole normal sentences or fragments of words, but some people Mm -hmm. believe that they will come in like many different languages because that's how the Mm -hmm. undead speak. And some people Mm -hmm. believe they will come to you as like a series of cryptic sounds that have like a human voice intonation and you'll have to hear that and listen for that. Mm -hmm. So I was, I I learned quite a bit. Do you want to give us an overview of what, a little bit of what you learned about sort of the origins of EVP technology and the practice of collecting it? I would love to. My understanding is that, uh, I guess a good jumping off point for us could be the spiritualist movement because we've already discussed that on the pod, right? This is the Mm -hmm. like 1840s through 1930s, maybe into the 40s, like, uh, you know, religious movement about communicating with ghosts and spirits. So this, as we discussed in the pod Mm -hmm. before, is all about the dead being contacted by mediums who are people who are able to understand ghosts and the dead. Um, And as that is emerging and those thoughts are being taken on by various people of various levels of import, different recording devices are being produced to try and relate proof of this. So Mm -hmm. there are, I mean, this is where we get like the Ouija board and the table tipping, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, sound recording becomes viable as a consumer technology in the 20th century. And as that rises as an important consumer technology, so too do EVPs. I should say, before we talk about the different technologies of them, that that as I said before, where it's like EVPs aren't always heard necessarily in the moment. So to clarify that a little bit more, what that means about EVPs and and how people sort of think about EVPs is that they are not necessarily sounds that are being emitted in the way that other things emit sounds, right? They're not necessarily um, frequencies or wavelengths or decibels or hertz or any of the other things that we um, sort of use to describe the qualities of sound. Um, Instead, they are disruptions in the environment that are recorded on technology that is recording frequencies and wavelengths and sounds. So even if you don't hear it, (laughs) so even if you don't hear it, the reason you don't hear it is because it's not a sound. It's an electronic voice phenomenon. So that's part of what differentiates it. And Um, that's also part of what makes it sort of strange to talk about because it's like, well, how would you record a sound that you couldn't hear with the human ears? It's not as though it's so quiet that it can't be heard heard by the human ears or something like that. It's because it's not a sound. Right. It's like, um, it's like predicting earthquakes. You don't record a video of the floor and watch and see if it wobbles. I don't know anything about earthquakes, but I believe you. 
<laughs> Basically, I'm saying that like it's a it's a form of technology that's meant to measure something that is not present to human observers in the environment. It's not meant to capture something the human observers are seeing. So it differ, it's different from, um, you know, what we're doing right now in that if you were to take this and try and make an EVP out of it, you would have to significantly experiment with and distort the audio because you would be looking for something that we wouldn't have heard during the recording, right? Does that kind of make sense? Yes. So it's, it's, it's creating something that is coincidentally present in a recording of sound, but it's not a sound, um, though it can be measured using devices that also record sound. And that will become more relevant when we talk about the ovulus and the spirit box, which are a little bit different than just directly using a handheld handheld recorder. And the ovulus allegedly um, manages, uh, <clears throat> sorry, manages actually does uh, record these environmental readings, environmental disturbances, supposedly. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, there were some interesting people who were involved in the early production Mm -hmm. of these. Tell Um, us about them. One of them who we were talking about earlier was... was a Swedish painter and film producer. A lot of Swedes uh, in the world Swede of EVP. Named Frederick Jurgensen. Yeah, a lot of Swedes. A, yeah. A truly shocking number of Swedes. <laughs> Two. <laughs> um, the story goes that he was... <laughs> that's people talking about our <laughs> podcast. Um, the story goes that he was actually not looking for paranormal readings but that he was recording bird song Mm -hmm. and that he used a tape recorder to record it and when he when he played back the tape recorders he heard uh his dead father's voice and then his dead wife calling out his name right so super spooky and there's an illustration of sort of the difference so the idea there is that the echo or the intention of the spirit, whether that spirit is has an intention there or whether it is merely an echo, is actually disrupting the physical tape, not making a noise. So when the tape is replayed, you can hear that manipulation as a sound, but it was never a sound in the first place. Right. And like he didn't, he wasn't even looking for it, right? Like he was trying to record birds. Totally. So. Yeah, the spirits are getting on there and they are scratching up the turntables like an old tiny disc jockey. Cut this out. (laughs) No, I kind of like that. (laughs) Okay, tell us more about Jorgensen. Yeah, well, he worked with a guy named Konstantin Raudive. I think that's how you say his name. And uh, I believe they are called the Rodive tapes. Rodive, Konstantin Rodive. And yeah, actually... um, EVP, another less commonly used name for EVP is Raudiv Voices. So they're named Mm -hmm. for him. And they worked on some books together. They Mm -hmm. conducted research into paranormal tapes. They worked Mm -hmm. with other scientists. So um, Konstantin was a psychologist and had a lot of university connections. Uh, They went to Munich and they went to Germany and they vibed and made crazy tapes um yes so they were using reel-to-reel tapes right or if it's worth noting that's what they were using i think it absolutely is and actually i mean they recorded like something like a hundred thousand 
tapes mm-hmm. you know, that they believed mm-hmm. showed, you know, thousands and thousands of inexplicable audio recordings of ghost voices, which are pretty mm-hmm. incredible. And Rodive was also really instrumental in, not instrumental, Rodive was also distinct in his desire for other people to validate his work. And I don't mean that in a way like, not because he was like despy for validation. I mean, like he was really invested in finding ways to confirm these recordings, um, you know, and recreate them um, in observed settings um, and like sterile conditions, et cetera, et cetera. And he, he um, invited lots of other people to listen to them and interpret them. It's interesting for three reasons. The first is this is, uh, st- this is sort of, um, you know, he sort of has one foot in science and one foot in the future of paranormalism. So the first being he really is trying to make it um, similar to science in the way that where, as you've explained, sort of scientific experiment before, he's trying to recreate it over and over again. So they will do it many times um, and trying to make that sort of a, uh, what is that called? What is that? You always use a smart word to like, it's repeatable or something. You can recreate uh, it under... Yeah, reproducible. So he tried to make it reproducible. um, And he tried to reproduce it many times. But then also he's straying from the sort of clandestine nature of the previous sort of uh, scientific experiments, and attempts to record ghosts. um, And he's making it very public, um, which is different. And then the third thing that's interesting about it is it actually kind of blurs the idea that um, Jurgensen and that other people had at the time and that many other people still have now, um, which isn't to say they're wrong. It's just, this is a different interpretation of it. Um, that has to do with sort of the intention of the communication. So Jurgensen had a really, ex- uh, personal experiences. Um, he made, he ha- made several recordings and his, uh, his mother, his father, his wife, his brother, like other dead people that he knew, other discarnate people that he knew communicated with him directly by altering these tapes um, to make a sound that would be reproduced um, that he could listen to. But Rodive really insisted that these were identifiable by many people and that they couldn't be explained by other means, but they could be heard by other people, which is different. I mean, not that you couldn't hear the recording of Jurgensen's father, but that if you were to go to that same place and make a recording and, and attempt to contact Jurgensen's father, why why would Jurgensen's father talk to you? <laughs> you know, so it's, it's a little different than other EVPs because other experiences of EVP, um, and we'll find this as we go on, have a lot to do with the intention of the entity that is speaking on the EVP and their intended audience. But Rodive kind of broke that um, directionality. Well, and yeah, exactly. And I think that that's a really important point because a lot of people um, who are keen to debunk this kind of thing uh, say that the reason that people are able to hear voices and sounds is that the human brain is suggestible. And when a pattern is suggested... Mm people are very quick to pick up on patterns. Um, they call it apophenia. Yes, we've talked about periodelia too. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, the tendency to perceive meaningful connections between unrelated things. 
So mm-hmm. if you, I mean, that's closer to what you might consider like paranoid tendencies, I guess, apophenia is, but mm-hmm. there's like a series of psychological distinctions or um, corrections made mm-hmm. where it's like, basically, if you offer someone a series of just random sound or static or images or whatever it may be, they're going to find patterns and connections in that because the human brain is the human brain is primed to make connections and to see mm-hmm. patterns. It's part of what makes us adapt and evolved as a species. Mm-hmm. And so if you suggest to someone, hey, listen to this static, I think I heard my dead dad's voice, they're going to be listening for your dead dad's voice. And I mm-hmm. think what Rodiv was trying to do is he was trying to create conditions under which people were not influenced to believe his story, but would still confirm it because that was the depth of mm-hmm. his belief as both a paranormalist and as a scientist. Yes. Yes. That's a better way of explaining what I was trying to say in my first point. No, no, I'm building on it. No, no, seriously. I mean, that's why it's a two person podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I mean, there and there are a lot of psychological distinctions and they range from sort of like a natural tendency, like I accidentally mispronounced it when I said it when I interrupted you, but periodolia, periodolia, I can never pronounce this word and I talk about it all the time. It's literally constant. How do I, okay. Periodolia. Do, do, dolia, pareidolia. God damn it! I'm never gonna remember right. It's spelled. It's got a lot I of pareidolia. It's p a r e i d o l i a. Look it up. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. is just the basic tendency for people to see like faces in trees, um, hear their own name when someone else is talking, like things like that. Yeah, Jesus um, and toast. Jesus in toast. Jesus in toast. And, uh, yes. Yeah, exactly. That's like the, the basis of like the Rorschach test and stuff. Um, yeah. So ranging from that, which is like a little more, uh, basic, I guess, all the way to something that is like purely based in suggestibility and then also all the way to something that is actual delusion or hallucination. Right. So the thought being you don't have to be deluded or psychotic in the most literal sense, like experiencing psychosis to hear Mm -hmm. or see things that quote unquote aren't there. You're not imagining whole cloth or hallucinating whole cloth. You're just experiencing the world through the valence of looking for patterns. And when patterns Mm -hmm. are suggested to you, you tend to experience them. And actually a lot of parapsychology is debunked under the um, auspices of it just being the natural human tendency to want to see things that aren't there in like a broad sense. So that's something that we'll return Mm -hmm. to again and again is something that people use to debunk, but I think that what's interesting about Rodiv, as you say... Well, and to see things that aren't there regardless of if you want to or not. Exactly. Um, But, I mean, you might say that the reason that he heard on a tape his Mm -hmm. dead father's voice is a form of of grief because you want to be communicated Mm -hmm. with by those who are no longer there, and that's the voice you recognize. So, of course, that's the voice Mm -hmm. you're going to hear. It would be way way crazier if, as you say, someone else heard his dead father speaking to him. Right. (laughs) Right. 
Yeah, it's highly unlikely. Like I said, uh, I think last episode, I said, like, if you go to a haunted church, you're not going to see a dead bride. It's highly unlikely that you would go to someone else's house and their grandmother, unless you are a psychic medium, which is a whole other story. Um, And their grandmother would be like, psst, can you tell Johnny something for me? <laughs> like, it's not, it's not really the experience of the supernatural in a general sense. Well, and actually, I mean, this, this can maybe lead us into some of the other technologies. Um, so we've been talking about real to real tape, which do you want to take us through mm-hmm. what real to real tape is? <laughs> if I knew what it was, <laughs> it's magnetic, right? Yeah. I literally don't know what it is. Okay. Um, I'm just going to click it. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's what I thought it was. Okay. Reel-to-reel tape or open reel recording is uh, magnetic tape. So the same kind of tapes that you had audiobooks on as a child. Um, I'm not sure how it actually works, though. It just means that in the majority of cases, you are using... So the reel is the thing that... um moves you know uh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's the circle yeah it's what winds the thing so you can have like a reel for a hose or a reel for tape or a reel for like you can even you could even call what you wind thread around a reel um yeah and in more modern reels you have a cassette enclosing the tape um and that's why you can play it forward or play it back and it's a distinct and limited amount of time and that's why you have to re-record over a cassette reel-to-reel tape you can continuously feed tape in and out um, and the tape is manually pulled in or out and it's not enclosed in a cassette permanently um this is my understanding from reading about it i've never used one i'm sure listeners who have used reel-to-reel tapes Feel free to write it and correct me about the actual usage. I'm sure that it also yeah, right varies. Yeah, right from your nursing home. Hey, <laughs> that's my mom totally you're talking kidding, about. <laughs> I know, right? Like, obviously, we had tapes at my house too when I was a kid. It's <laughs> being rude. Um, I mean, it describes a variety of technologies, not just one. But I think the idea here being that the the reel to reel tape is effective for recording ghost voices because it's exposed to the environment. And because you can feed it continuously. Yes. yes. Magnetic tape is cons- uh, consists of a substrate, which is like usually a long, narrow strip of plastic. And then there is a mag- magnetable layer um, of either iron oxide, um, barium ferrite, chromium dioxide, anything else that is magnetic. On the other side, um, and then the tape head magnetically um, sort of manipulates that layer to be um, in the way that a wax cylinder is manipulated so that it can be read by itself again. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, So anyway, that's what they were recording on. They were recording on reel-to-reel tape. And as we move forward through... Um, the 20th into the 21st century, we see a much broader range of what an EVP can become based on a rise in popular consumer technologies of audio. So 
where an EVP was once um, once available to scientists and paranormalists only. Uh, I guess they wouldn't have called themselves paranormalists at the time, but they were expensive consumer goods. Now, as we move through the 20th century, not only does analog recording become more affordable and available, but digital recording becomes available at the turn of the 20th into the 21st century. And from that arise a whole variety of different kinds of EVP. Um, yeah, and I think uh, as we move into digital technologies, we sort of have to shift our cultural understanding of intention and communication as well. Because, like I said, a lot of the um, a lot of EVP recording has to do with what is perceived as the intention of the spirit and uh, the audience as well. Mm-hmm. Um, And from a totally dry perspective, you can see how it doesn't really make sense that analog and digital recording would have similar abilities to capture EVP because analog recording, um, as the name implies and the difference between analog and digital there is like um, analog is actually physically manipulated. Um, There's a physical aspect to it. So whether that's wax, vinyl, magnetic powder, um, tape, those are things that can be physically manipulated. Um, and then when we get into digital, um, I don't want to say that it requires being more generous with your understanding of what environmental stimulus is, but you have to sort of imagine it differently. Um, and, but it's still sort of the core essence of an EVP is still information that's being communicated by manipulating the instrument of recording and what that instrument is recording without actually making a noise in real time. Totally. Um, So if you look up on YouTube EVP, there's lots of what are considered to be EVP recordings. There's also a lot of let's make a fake EVP from audio that you have. And I think that has to do with mm-hmm. what you're talking about, this kind of requirements, because it's much, 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 much easier for consumers to manipulate digital tech with a lot a lot lower cost and a lot higher rewards mm-hmm. than it is to manipulate analog tape because... Mm-hmm. Of reasons to do with technology. Um, I yeah. definitely blew that out right there. Uh, yeah, and so that, open, that opens up. I mean, in some ways, it opens up a lot more room of possibility for paranormalists because you can hear mm-hmm. a much wider variety of sounds. And even though it might not be as high fidelity as analog recording, you are able to, uh, you know, post recording, you're able to go in and adjust frequencies Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. tones and try and hear things that may not be audible to the human ear and really, you know, Mm -hmm. computer enhance at the same time that opens up the possibility of fraud a lot more. True. So it's double edged. And isolating sounds is easier with digital recording. And and F, I had a fun I had an interesting intelligent thing to say and I instantly forgot it. What was I gonna say? So with that being said, (laughs) digital recordings of EVPs happen in a few ways. And they start to become um, more varied than the original reel-to-reel process. But interestingly, there is a digital manner of sort of substituting 
a digital form of analog recording. Wait for me. It, um, a digital form of analog recording, and I'll get to what I mean by that. But also, basically, people can use handheld recorders to do it. So you can use any kind of um, basic digital audio recorder. You can use your phone, and EVPs can appear um, or can be detected in the Oh, oh, yeah. Digital recordings become more diversified in methodology than analog recordings mm. is what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. So we have the um, the basic digital recording unmanipulated as is. But then we have another option. Um, and that is using something like a spirit box, a Spiritcom. Um, there's a couple different brand names for it. But essentially what it is, is it's an instrument that both generates and records frequencies. So it generates like a mask of white noise as a medium for spirit communication to for itself to then record and so it like rapidly flips through different frequencies that it records while simultaneously sort of like painting the entire audioscape in this like white noise and white noise um if you don't know like what it technically is white noise is basically just a random signal and it has a, like an equal level of almost every frequency possible basically um so it has like a constant density of frequency um so it's the closest to like a it's called that in the, uh, it's called that because white is the combination of all other um, visual frequencies. So if you kind of understand it in the same way, like if you mix all of the visible light spectrum, you see white. If you mix all of the audible noise spectrum, you hear what is called white noise. Um, and so that's what I kind of refer to as sort of a digital recreation of an analog recording because they're creating a medium, the white noise, which is uh, like a plain wax cylinder or like a blank magnetic tape is like the full spectrum of what's available to you, which can then be carved if you're a spirit, which can then be sort of carved into the correct patterns that you're seeking to communicate. It's funny hearing you talk about it. I had not thought of this when doing the research, but hearing you talk about how um, it is a medium which you extract patterns from, it really reminds me of the concept of ether. So that's exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Bastie, let's get so it. So that's where I was. So yeah, so that's what I wanted to talk about with this and with the ovulus, which should I introduce the ovulus first or should yeah, I yeah, use yeah, I ether to talk as, okay. So the ovulus is then the third kind. So we have the straight recording. We have the construction of like, um, another way to think about it is like when you prime a canvas. So then we have the priming the canvas, um, which allows it to be easier for the ghost to paint on the canvas to speak to you. That's the spirit box or the spirit com or anything else that generates these frequencies. Um, and then, oh my God, people will not stop calling me. I'm so popular. Um, and then the third one we have is the ovulus. So the ovulus, which is also 
which is a different kind of what's called instrumental trans communication. Did you come across trans communication? I did. Um, yeah. When you were a lot of noodling? people text me about that. <laughs> Sorry. That's I. <so> stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So trans communicate instrumental trans communication is a sorry trans communication and instrumental trans communication or itc which is an abbreviation you'll hear thrown around by paranormalists a lot is technically like a trademarked term by a particular um like nonprofit that works in ghost hunting a lot um but it generally means like anytime that you're using an electronic device to communicate either between spirits or from spirit to an incarnate entity. Um, so that could be ghosts in the phone. That could be the computer. That could be like anything you can think of that involves electronic frequencies. Mm -hmm. um, electronic frequencies that involves electricity. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything you can think of that involves electricity. <laughs> anything you can think of that involves electricity. So the obvious is... Um, sus. It's sus, and and it's sus for a few reasons. The first reason that it's sus is that it is a brand name, trademarked, proprietary. I guess software, um, or other way that an electronic device is operated. I think of that as software. I don't know what it actually is. Um, so you can't really know what's happening because it was like invented by a person who refuses to share it. And so what it allegedly does is it converts quote unquote environmental readings into words that can be understood and uh, pretty much just in English. I've never seen an ovulus used in another language. I cannot vouch for whether or not that happens but I've never seen it. Um, yeah. So the ovulus knows about 2000 English words. <laughs> so, and it's considered to be speech synthesis. Mm, so sure. in an abstracted sense, um, in an abstracted sense or on paper, that's the same definition that we have for analog recording of these sounds, which is that it, can, it understands disruptions in the environment and it reproduces them as intelligible words. Right. But it's kind of harder even for me as somebody who is gullible. No, I'm kidding. As somebody <laughs> who has a very, I have a flexible mind <laughs> relatively. Even for someone with a relatively flexible mind, it's difficult to understand without it's difficult to trust that that's happening. Oh my God. So many phone calls. It's difficult to trust that that's happening without any sort of understanding or, um, like explanation from the people who make ovulus. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like such a potential money trap. Like it just seems like, such Oh, it has Spanish too. I just found out. Um, oh, yeah, God. they're going to add Chinese next. Um, it just seems like such an easy way. <laughs> they did not add Chinese. That's so funny. It just seems like an easy way to fake people out by making uh, them think they're talking to dead people. 
Like if the idea, yeah. I mean, I feel like the whole, like it is technically the same definition, but the whole thing about EVPs is that they can be recorded by anyone. And the kind of, right. the flat hierarchy of paranormalism is that there are people who are really good at recording and communicating contact with the dead, but the idea is the dead appear to everyone and to anyone, right? right? So like you may have special ability to contact them, but I think, I think at least the stuff that I've come across that's compelling, a lot of the time the idea is like, no, anybody can talk to spirits and the dead. It's just most people's minds are closed. Like they don't believe they've been brought up in a particular tradition to believe that that's demonic or evil or they're, you know, atheists. Mm. And really, if we just all were to understand that like ghosts are here and they're peaceful and they want to communicate with you, but like sometimes they're bad. Like That whole narrative, a lot of it hinges in the idea that if the average person were just to become a believer, they would be able to hear and communicate with the dead. And I think what's crazy about the ovulus is they're like, yeah, for ninety nine ninety nine. Um, are you joking? Ovulus cost upwards of three hundred dollars. Yeah, three easy payments of ninety nine dollars. Um, yeah, everything you said is exactly right. It's just so funny that it costs three hundred and twenty five dollars. So yeah, so that's my take on ovulus. It's sad because, like with the mediums, like with the twentieth century traveling mediums, it's. Every time there's something in the world of paranormalism that is fraudulent, it, well, for me, it cuts deep because it's like the really annoying, well, never mind. I'm not going to mention that I'm vegetarian on the podcast. Everyone will come for me. But like, it's a similar thing to really annoying vegetarian. You know what it's like? Okay. It's <laughs> like those millennials who make tic- I'm screaming. Um, it's like those millennials that make really cringy TikToks about how Eminem is cool, even if Gen Z tries to cancel them. Oh, it's like, oh, God, like, God. every time you do that, you weaken my life our force. standing and legitimacy so severely. So it's kind of a similar feeling of just, like, wanting it to be okay, but knowing that it's not, mm-hmm. and also, like wanting to distance yourself from it but also as quietly as possible so that you don't call attention to it itself (laughs) just like quietly removing it from your website without making an announcement (laughs) just like quietly putting all their products on sale you know like like, on the morphe store like (laughs) yeah like so um but yeah so both the ovulus in a completely fraudulent way and the uh and the spirit box, which I, I tend to find more legitimate, um, operate in very similar ways as one could understand an echo happening in the ether. Would you mind giving us a little revisit of the wonderful research you did about the ether in our previous episodes? Totally. So luminiferous ether, um, as we went over in, I think, episode four, but I'll go back and check. So sorry. It's like episode seven. <laughs> yeah, that sounds more right. Um, luminiferous ether. It was considered for a long time to be an odorless, invisible, unmeasurable substance through which all material on Earth moves and all material in the universe. So mm-hmm. the idea was that ether was like air in that we're all suspended in it and experiencing it, but unlike air, you cannot capture it or transmute it or move through it or pass through it. It's just 
it's almost like the fabric of reality, but instead of the fabric of mm-hmm. reality as an abstract concept containing us, it was a literal thing, just mm-hmm. a thing that human beings could not interact with or experience. Right. So that and white noise. And I almost also want to say ectoplasm, which in some um, theories of ectoplasm through the idea of a deoplasty, how you can use ectoplasm as a physical medium that you can project psychokinetically, basically 3D print with psychokinetically. Um, You know what I mean? Like you can Mm -hmm. form a physical thing out of ectoplasm, even though ectoplasm is only somewhat a physical thing. I'm going to make a gun out of ectoplasm. It's so, so it's so interesting how repeatedly, and we talked about it with the idea that maybe theoretically there's a paranormal wavelength that has yet to be detected by physicists. It's so interesting. The consistency with which paranormalists have offered Uh, throughout history and across various disciplines, the idea that the paranormal experience is happening in a medium that other things are not happening in. Um, Fuck, that wasn't good either. It was, it was fine. You understand what I'm trying to say? You got it. I think it's interesting. Let me, let me take a pass at it. Okay. I agree with you. I think it's really interesting. And I think that part of what is fascinating about Um, all of these conceptions is, as you're saying, that there are these imagined um, like pockets or mediums or whatever through which specific things move, right? Like the idea that there is an invisible unseen world. And it's not just that ghosts are an invisible unseen world, but that within our world, there's an invisible unseen world that like ghosts can interact with and we can kind of pass Mm -hmm. into or pass through. It almost replicates the idea of the unconscious, which they talk about a lot in Rodiv's book um, and him and uh, the Swedes <laughs> were really into the role of the unconscious mm-hmm. and the subconscious um, in the creation and animation of EVPs. And actually um, we can talk about this as well, but Jung was really into EVPs and he thought that they had a lot to do with the unconscious as well. And his idea of the mm-hmm. Jungian idea of the collective unconscious is another thing like this, that there's like a massive, swelling human consciousness to which all things return and from which all ideas come and that we have these archetypes that are grounded in the human consciousness which is like one invisible but inherent thing there's this kind of i don't know almost mythic force behind Mm -hmm. these imagined worlds that i find quite beautiful and compelling but it is funny how every time they try and get proved uh, there's a bit of a struggle. <laughs> right. But that's the idea, and, is that it's unprovable. And this is, um, this is, in the plainest sense, a phenomenon. I mean, it's, it's anthropologically documented, documented by anthropologists in many places at many periods in time, quote unquote. Um, you know, the idea of, <laughs> the ideas of um, chakras or chi or, the hoop that never ends, the, these very, yeah, that's right. I quoted Pocahontas in the middle of our <laughs> podcast. Screaming. Um, <laughs> screaming. Um, this is after all a Chapman family production, but Bruh. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll cut that out. Um, but this is, I mean, it's commonplace for different people and different peoples to understand what's the world as 
sort of a pot or of available energies that are affected or cycled through different actions of intent on them. And whether you call that magic or you call that chemistry or you call that, you know what I mean? Like, oh, it's matter can neither be created nor destroyed or it's rebirth. Um, Mm -hmm. It's the idea that spirits return to a particular island and then those same spirits return to a particular island after their bodies have died. And then those spirits are the manner in which um, new pregnancies are conceived. Um, I mean, the sense that there's something all around us that isn't the same as the physical things that we're touching and eating and drinking and breathing, but that is also kind of a limited system that has rules and can be acted upon and can act upon you. And which of those, which of those imagined systems are or aren't within the definition of fact, that's everywhere. It's just a question of how you name that or whether you accept that. And that's sort of the, that sort of changes with the sort of progress of like secular quote unquote secular science, but it's still very much universal, no matter which system of that you're adhering to. And I think part of what's so beautiful about the paranormal is that it repeatedly offers these different ideas of what that might be. Totally. I agree. Oh, let me read you from the Spirit Box Wikipedia, or from the Spirit, the Spirit Box Amazon page. This will be interesting. This is something, uh, I, this yeah, is something yeah. I pulled that I thought would be cool. Okay. So here is, this is from the Spirit Box Amazon um, description, because these are items you can buy, <laughs> like any of us, given yeah. a, a credit card and some time, could buy and use these. And maybe we should at some point. But... Um, a spirit box is an audio-only device that rapidly scans through multiple audio channels that is said to make relatively easy for ghosts to manipulate to say a word or phrase in real time. It has been proven that sounds other than spoken language can be captured on the spirit box, and it's usually discovered as something other than what it is when surrounding the investigator. Um, while use of a spirit box will make it evident that it's quite loud, it's recommended to remain silent when beckoning for responses in paranormal investigations, as some evidence can be difficult to hear without audio editing. So far, the only common default sound heard from the spirit box when no response is given is that of static, with minute pauses that spread about a second long at best, and whatever audio message has been captured becomes obvious as the static becomes either distorted or dies out completely during the duration of the foreign sound. So what's interesting to me about that is that, again, here we are, you like explaining why when recording you don't understand and how to notice ahead of time what parts of the audio might be containing spirit noises. So because it's scanning through multiple audio channels at once, that's said to make it relatively easy for ghosts to manipulate or say a word or phrase in real time. So here being, again, back to the idea of like this being sort of like an ether or a medium or a container, you're creating an ideal environment for which these in within which these ghosts can play within which these ghosts can speak Mm -hmm. or can interact or can contact you. Now, why ghosts would speak to people in this way is really interesting 
on a metaphysical, mm-hmm. psychological level, why it would be that this is how ghosts can speak fascinates me. So I went and I read some of the book by Jurgensen and um, mm-hmm. Rodiv. Oh, where did you find that? Archive.com. Or archive.org, rather. Hold on. The Internet Archive. Um, so this is from his book, or the two of their books, Breakthrough, An Amazing Experiment in Electronic Communication with the Dead, which this was a big mm. deal book when it was published. The language of the voices and how they speak. Let us ask ourselves briefly an important question. Does a thought consist of words? The answer is no. Thoughts consist of psychic particles that stand in the same relation to reality as words. This means to think of language is to think of a form of life. The process of speaking is a very complicated one. Vocal cords, glottis, and lungs all play their part. In producing the sound of a voice, the vocal cords are brought together by a system of rotary cartilages and a complicated interaction of small muscles. Air being pressed out of the lungs causes the vocal cords to vibrate, and size and tension of the cords determine the frequency of the vibrations. Voices are usually unique, and everybody possesses, so to speak, his or her own voice, distinguished by its special, unmistakable tone quality. The so-called voices from beyond are easily distinguishable from terrestrial human voices. They speak in an unmistakable rhythm and usually employ several languages in a single sentence. The sentence construction obeys rules that differ radically from those of ordinary speech, and although the voices seem to speak in the same way we do, the anatomy of their speech apparatus must be different from our own. So, and he goes on about listening through playback and trying to understand. So to me, this is really a key Mm -hmm. to understanding EVP and spirit voices. Obviously not every paranormalist Mm -hmm. thinks about it this deeply or goes into this kind of level of detail, but I think it's really interesting to hear him say, or to read him write, listen, human beings speak through a very specific physical process and a very specific Mm -hmm. psychological process. Mm-hmm. And though what ghosts produce for us as speech comes to us in the form of intelligible the way that a human voice may be, we have to understand that ghost bodies or containers or vessels or whatever it may be, those are going to be radically different from human bodies. And so if the sounds that emerge from them are radically different, that's in line with what we expect from hearing from someone from a different realm, which I think... Mm-hmm brings up more questions than it answers, but is a really interesting stab at explaining why it would be that you hear random Russian caterwauling in like an opera performance in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's interesting. I That's interesting to hear. I tend to consider... I tend to consider EVP as more of a reflection of the intention or a reflection of the, yeah, reflection of the intent of the, uh, whether it's an echo or an entity, um, rather than a physical process. But I guess that's because I'm a paranormalist in 2021 and not in 1971. Right. I mean, I think there's a, I'm sure the different paranormalists have different ideas about what, I mean, obviously they do different ideas as we're 
Right. I don't mean to say that he's wrong. That's not how I meant to say it. No, not Um, at all. I just think that if you're going to be recording what you consider to be the voices of the dead, I think that it's uh, understandable to ask the question of what what does it mean to have a voice of your dead? Yes, definitely. What does it mean to have a voice of your dead? Right. And And there's different perspectives on that. Yeah. when, When we did our section on physics we actually didn't touch on voice at all we touched on image and form and movement and that's Mm -hmm. uh, you know intelligible and understandable to me but when you're doing stuff like this and recording I think while ghosts are you know spirits their energy and they communicate through intention that's one perspective and then the idea that ghosts are physical forms that communicate through their physical forms as well but just on a completely different scientific framework mm. than we do is a very sideways of that but also intelligible mm-hmm. through this method theory so this is part of I mean I guess I'm just trying to introduce that this is part of what's interesting about EVP is that it's not just one it doesn't prove one methodological theory or another it's a form of data mm. collection that can be mm-hmm. incorporated into many different understandings of what's happening Yes, that's a really excellent um, way to put it. That's a great thing to say is it's, yeah, it's, um, it's a methodology that can be, yeah, it's a methodology that can be attached to a lot of different perspectives. Um, you know, like it, it's a technology or a tool of many methodologies is, an, is what I, is better. Right. It's a form of data collection and what you do with mm-hmm. that data datums what you do with that (laughs) varies based on what you're trying to prove or accomplish or achieve or understand um it's just one piece of a paranormalist toolkit the majority of the time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and a paranormalist toolkit can involve so many different things and we're going to be getting into those over the course of our of this arc of technologies of proof yeah, just that those technologies can be part of whatever your larger toolkit requires, and we're going to be talking about those over the course of this arc, but I think that this is one of the most common ones, and oddly one of the most accessible ones, partially because it's really easy to play audio back, partially because mm-hmm. it's um, it's easier for me and this now just speaks to my experience, it's easier for me to understand a voice than it may be to believe a figure. As someone who I would call on a more skept- on the more skeptical end than Eva, though not a skeptic, wouldn't be a self-described, eh, maybe, I don't know. But as someone who feels pretty ambivalent about a lot of technology a lot of like pieces of proof I've been offered of ghosts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like I would say I have a more cultural understanding of what ghosts are rather than like a straight-up scientific perspective also I'm not a scientist right. um audio just seems like a medium where I'm like yeah I mean we hear weird shit all the time and if you hear weird shit and you tell me that's like the sound of a ghost I'm like but <laughs> yeah and I think also um like just to zoom out a little bit 
EVPs become very popular. You mentioned this in the beginning of the um, in, the, in the beginning of the episode, and you also talked about it uh, when we talked about literacy in the episode about mediums. Um, as that becomes a tool that people are more used to working with themselves, they're more likely to be recording their own notes on a voice recorder. They're more likely to be leaving messages on an audio what is it called? Voicemail. Uh, um, what was voicemail called before it was called voicemail? I don't know. Answering machine. Mm. Leaving messages on an answering machine. Um, the the more that that became that audio recording technologies become a daily part of life, the more popular um, they also become a part of ghost hunting. I mean, that's not like a super deep. Uh, that's not like a hot take. It's just true. Like no, I completely agree with you. Um, and it's interesting to watch. So, and I think as technologies, as video technologies and imaging technologies also become more and more a part of our daily life. And I'm not just talking about photography. I'm talking about like infrared and like more alternative forms of uh, imaging technologies. Um, those are on the rise as well. Those are sort of like going to the second, my opinion, those are going to be like the second sort of wave of popular ghost hunting tools. I totally agree. I don't think we're, we'll ever be done with EVP, but, but no, I'm, I completely I'm, I'm excited agree to see what comes into fashion. I think the existence of edited found footage is actually an interesting, um, an interesting example of this, where there were there are examples of paranormalists who would comb through like radio transmissions and other people's audio, and they would try and find ghost voices in them and identify them. And I think mm. now we see a much more updated version of that with like YouTube ghost hunters who take found footage or mm -hmm. footage that like old family tapes or whatever and they comb through it and they find images they consider to be suspect either orbs or lights or shadows mm. or figures or whatever your particular flavor is i think there yeah. you see that the way that you know video technology has become so readily available and such a uh, i mean if not cheap then uh available consumer product that the more images we have, the more we're going to be processing those images. I mean, I think, you know, it's really, it's a spiritualist stream. <laughs> so much beyond what I think that they could have imagined mm -hmm. during the spiritualism movement. I mean, not, they obviously did imagine it. Yeah. We read those books, they talked about us, but I don't know. It's just fascinating to me. Also, mm -hmm. I want to go to Uppsala and listen to their tapes. We should go to Uppsala. I know. I should add it to the list of places I want to go. Yeah. I'll do it right now. Um, yeah, that's kind of all I have to say. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Um, yeah, this has been the Phenomena Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Stay. Go outside. <laughs> no, what were you going to say? <laughs> stay I was going to say stay spooky and sexy, but I don't feel like that's anything. We're going to be workshopping that. I'm going to be workshopping the outro to the end of time. All right. I love you guys. Thanks for okay. listening. Bing.